And uh, we're just so thankful, each and every one of you. I think I see some uh, grandkids over here. Is that grandkids? Uh, good to have your grandkids with us, Sister Casey. And I looked around. I didn't see a lot of visitors. We do have a lot of people out today. Our crowd's not like it normally is. But counting those three or four hundred that's watching in, we're running close to 500 this morning. So that's pretty good. Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not or defraid not honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him loved him. Isn't that awesome that the Lord loved this man because he said to the master, I've done all of this. I've, I've loved you and I've kept your commandments. And the Lord loved him for that. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. I want to talk to you on this subject this morning. Eternal life is your greatest inheritance. It is without a doubt absolutely your greatest inheritance and I pray that the people that I pastor every one of you inherit eternal life I want every one of you go to heaven I want this church to be saved I want every one of us to spend eternity together I pray often God save every member of our church, our families, our friends. Because that is absolutely, undoubtedly, the most important thing of your life. Going to heaven. Now I just mentioned going to heaven and I don't want you to get quite. Most of the time we get quite when I teach on heaven or eternal life. Something of that nature. So don't frown and don't get quiet. So that means you ought to be smiling right now. Okay. You know, eternal life is something we really don't think enough about. 
We think about a lot of things during our days, but it needs to be filled more with going to heaven than anything else. Can you say amen? Everybody say, God bless the word. You can be seated. An organization called Billionaire Bonanza is a group that did a study on inherited wealth dynasties in the 21st century in the United States of America. Their focus was primarily on dynasty and wealth that has, pa has passed from one generation to another within the families. Their analysis is based on the Forbes magazine list of the 400 wealthiest individuals in the United States. Three dynasties and wealth families, the Waltons, the Cox, and the Mars, have seen their wealth increase 6,000% since 1982. That's a big raise, isn't it? These three wealth dynasties own a combined wealth of $348.7 billion with a B. Three individuals, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett still own more wealth than the whole bottom half of our country combined. A third of the members of the 400 own fortune derived from companies that were founded by earlier generations. Their parents or other ancestors founded all of those companies from which their wealth is derived. They inherited wealth. Is there anybody here that's ever inherited anything? A few of you have. Raise your hand again. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about seven of us that have inherited something. Inherited wealth is nice. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't sacrifice to get it. But both of our parents on both sides of our family have passed on and the little bit that our parents had accumulated were passed down to their children. My wife and I now have become real estate uh, magnets. We have accumulated two rental properties. In fact, one and a half. My brother owns half of my mom and daddy's uh, house. So we, we have inherited a rental property. It derives a little income. And my mother and dad's house, we're trying to sell it. So we have a little bit of accumulated wealth because of inheritance. It's nice. It comes free. It comes in your latter years, usually. And uh, it just feels good having a little extra. The Forbes 400 combined and owned $2.8 trillion, more than the combined wealth of 64% of the United States. Those 
400 people own most of the wealth in the United States. The median family in the United States owns just about 80% or 80,000 in household wealth. But the richest person in the United States and the world, Jeff Bezos, has accumulated a fortune of nearly 2 million times that amount. Even at the recently increased wage of $15 an hour, a full-time Amazon worker would need to work for 2.5 million years to generate that much money. That's a lot of time working for Amazon. We go wild when we think of the accumulated wealth of so many people. We stand in awe and we fantasize and we dream what it would be like to have this type of accumulated wealth at our fingertips. All of us think how awesome it would be to have that much money. But we do not realize that this amount of money will change your life and you will not be the same person once you accumulate it. Sudden wealth catches many of us unprepared. Most of us have no clue what it would be like to manage a lot of money. Most people don't know how to handle windfalls, and most will lose it according to statistics within two to five years. So when the dinar happens and most of you that have it become millionaires, I'm going to prophesy you better get some help and you better, you better ask for wisdom and you better come to your pastor and I'll give you some knowledge and wisdom and we'll work together and I'll help you not to be stupid and you help me not to be stupid because we'll lose it if we're not careful. It'll make a different person out of you. And you could be a, a, a person that's ready to go to heaven and live in it and doing everything right than accumulate wealth and lose it all. And I'm going to tell you, it would not be worth it. You lose a lot of privacy when you have money. And you may have to hire bodyguards and security companies to protect you and your wealth. You lose much of your privacy you no longer simply can go to Walmart or go shopping anywhere without at least a chance of being recognized, disturbed, maybe even photographed, and perhaps gossiped about. You may feel uneasy. You may see people struggling to get by, and you wonder why they are struggling and you were spared, and it may seem seem unfair that you may even have trouble uh, with that emotion realizing that they're having problems and you can't fix it. You have to keep a lot of secrets because of money, because of what people will think or assume about you. You'll be criticized by people who don't even know you. 
Some people may assume that you're greedy or shallow or materialistic or that you're evil or that you don't know how or what it's like to be just an average person. They may assume that you become wealthy just because you're lucky or maybe because you cheated or took advantage of various loopholes and other people. People will treat you differently. And one reason you may start being secretive when rich is because you don't want to be treated differently. And people will treat you differently when you're wealthy. When people know you're wealthy, you may become the go-to person when they need to borrow money. Or they might expect you to pay for everything when you're together. Some friends or relatives might expect costly gifts from you for their children's birthdays and holidays. And you might be condemned if you just give an ordinary gift. You can grow out of touch with the rest of society and may have trouble relating to average people, their common experiences and the challenges they face. You can develop an identity crisis. You can no longer know who you are and you no longer identify with your friends and family. You can suffer a lot of disappointment. You may no longer have goals like you used to because now you can afford to do anything instead of having to work for it. You no longer get satisfaction of having earned something through your own efforts because you haven't had to work for these things. So purchases can be less satisfying. Buying something you want may not provide the delight you expected it would and you can find yourself still unsatisfied even though you can get almost anything you desire. You'll have trouble trusting people. This is a major drawback of great wealth when everyone you meet is a suspicious person because you don't know what their motives are. Whether in business or setting uh, of social, in a social setting, you'll find yourself unsure whether they're truly interested in you or what you have to offer. Are they more interested in your money and what you might do from them for them? Your children may end up spoiled. Warren Buffett, one of the world's richest people, has made a point of giving his children too much money. He said that he aimed to give his children just enough so that they would feel they could do almost anything but not so much that they could do nothing. I said all of that to say this. There's a lot of fantasy about wealth. There's a lot of things that people get in their mind. They think if I just had this, my life would be so different. And uh, many even say if I didn't have to work or if I didn't have these obligations, uh, I would live for God. 
But let me tell you that is simply a fantasy. If you're not able to live for God in the bad times, in the poor times, in the times when you have to struggle and work to survive, you'll not live for God when everything's at your fingertips. That is a fantasy and that is uh, a disadvantage to many people because they don't understand the dangers of loving wealth. I want to give you a parable of an older couple that passed away and found themselves standing at the pearly gates. Peter was there and he welcomed them. First he showed them their mansion. The man was overwhelmed by the sheer luxury of all that he saw. How much does this place cost us per night? He asked Peter. Peter replied, sir, this is heaven. It doesn't cost you anything. Then Peter took them to the dining room where the table uh, was stacked, piled high with food of every kind, delicious Food that you could not even imagine. Again, overwhelmed by the glory of it all, the man asked, how much is this meal, this kind of food going to cost us? And Peter said, sir, you just forgot. You're in heaven. It costs you nothing. Peter then took them out back and he saw the most beautiful golf course that a mind could imagine. As the man stood there with his mouth open, his eyes bulging, Peter said, now before you ask me, this is heaven. There's no green fees in heaven. Everything is free. And that man turned around with a mean, mad look on his face and said to his wife, you and your stupid health club, all of those plans that you had to be healthy, that fiber and that exercising, that eating right, all of those vitamins and plenty of rest, I could have been up here 10 years ago if it hadn't been for you. Some of you are prolonging heaven. Some of you are working hard to stay out of heaven because you're wanting to live as long as you can live on this earth. And the Lord told us that. He said, occupy until I come. That word occupy means be busy, making a living, loving your family, loving God, going to church, being normal, being a human being, uh, helping other people. The Lord knows that we are going to be here for a while. And it is up to you, my friend, as to how you choose to live your life. How you will spend that time on this world is up to you. And I have made up my mind. I choose to live for God and be happy and go to heaven. I choose to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I choose to love God and to love other people. I choose to go to the house of God. I choose to be a Christian. I'm happy to be in the church. I'm glad that I'm serving God. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry. Don't pray. 
pray for me about that. I got my mind made up that going to heaven is the best inheritance I could ever have. Heaven is mentioned 582 times in the King James Version of the Bible. Kingdom of heaven is mentioned 32 times. 69 times kingdom of God is mentioned. Eternal life is mentioned uh, 26 times. Saved is mentioned 104 times. 54 times hell is mentioned. Eternal life, eternity, heaven, the kingdom of God, and the hereafter are all words that are familiar to all of us. Going to heaven is an achievable goal. Going to heaven is a realistic goal. Unlike many people think, going to heaven is not going to happen automatically. Going to heaven is not the process or preparation of just doing one thing. Getting to heaven is a series of certain requirements in your life and actions that is founded in the word of God. Putting those into practice starts one on the right road and matures one in his thinking, in his actions, in the way that he lives his life for God. And when you desire eternal life, there becomes a way of life that you live. You will make up your mind to live in a certain way. Amen. You will make up your mind to be holy and righteous and pure. The Lord wanted us to be holy and he was not necessarily in that verse of scripture talking about what we wear. The holiness he was talking about is how we treat God and how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people. Holiness is about loving God right and loving other people right. It doesn't matter what we look like or what we say we are if we don't love people and God the way we ought to love them. Somebody say amen. The religions of the world are many and different in doctrine. But one common denominator among most of them is the belief in the hereafter. Almost every religion believes in a hereafter. The young man in the scripture text that I read this morning, I believe in the hereafter. He believed in the hereafter and wanted to know what it would take to enter it. Most everyone believes in a hereafter. And anyone, I hate that devil. If you go too far, something will pop up there. Who really believes this would choose heaven or hell? The question in this lesson is not whether there is a heaven or hell. But assuming there is, and there is, will you go to heaven is the question. Some things in life are certain. It is certain that you will not live very long in this carnal fleshly body on this earth. 
normally about 70 to 90 years max. And when this body of flesh decays, where will your soul end up? We have got to realize that not one person uh, that you would know or read about other than a couple in the Bible that the Lord took. Not one person lived eternally. Every person died. We all get excited about the miracles that we read in the Gospels and in the book of Acts that the apostles did by the laying on of hands and what Jesus did by just speaking the word. Death people, dead people were raised from the dead and hundreds and thousands of people were healed of diseases and sickness but every one of them eventually died and I don't care who it is the richest man that ever lived or the poorest man that ever lived everybody is limited in this life and everybody is going to eventually die and Everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. The young man had sincere motives. Notice that it was not a question of hereafter that the young ruler was concerned about. It's not a question of where he wanted to go or not. He had already determined that he did want to be saved. He did want to go into eternity. He was a very rich man and he had already made many successful business deals and he knew a good bargain when he saw one. He entered the crowd that day because he wanted to make sure that he went to heaven. It was not a business deal. It was not money that he was concerned about. His question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If he wanted someone to please his curiosity, he came to the wrong individual because Jesus was not concerned with that. If he wanted someone to compliment him, and since he was a ruler, he came to the wrong person. If he wanted someone to soothe his conscience and put it at ease, again, he came to the wrong person. If he wanted someone to be fair and honest and factual, he did come to the right person. Jesus told him things that would put the young man on the right path and get him started in the right direction to the right goal. What Jesus was doing was hitting at the core of what he knew was the rich man's first priority and first life. Uh, love was his riches that he had accumulated. If God is not your first love, uh, then something else is. And God will always challenge your first love in serving him because the very first thing you've got to do in order to inherit eternal life is love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all of your strength. And you can't get in eternal life without that. You may go to heaven if you don't run from your commitment. With this man, 
it was riches. Is there something that you're wrestling with that's keeping you from obtaining the spiritual place that you are desiring and seeking after? I will say to you, it doesn't have to be riches to keep you out of the kingdom of God. That is only one in a list of many. You can be poor and still be carnal and ungodly and full of arrogance and cannot be touched by the power of God like he wants to touch you. I really think that this young man thought that Jesus would say to him that day, you have done so good. Just keep on doing what you've been doing. Because the young man said, I've kept the law since childhood. The Lord loved him when he saw his commitment. And I'm sure this young man thought he was going to be praised instead of being asked what he was asked to do. What is it about the commitment to God that is so difficult for us to submit to? We grow up and take on the responsibility of marriage and children. We're willing to share our time, our money, our life with someone else. Knowing that there will be times of difficulty and times we will have to give up things in order for our relationship to be fair and to continue. Yet we do it. We love our spouses 52 years. My wife and I have been married and we've had some struggles and some tough times. We've had some arguments and I hate to admit that because some of you are thinking we've got the perfect marriage. We've never raised our voice. We've never looked at each other wrong. We're just angels. Well, I'm going to tell you that's not true. We vow to have and to hold for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, and to death do we part. What motivates us to make that commitment of marriage? We call it love. And this is also the motivation for a commitment to God that's going to get us in eternity. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you don't go to heaven, it's because you didn't love God right. Because if you love God right, you're going to commit to Him. You're going to be in that marriage relationship with Him. And you're going to serve Him because He's a fair God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. He wants you to be saved. But if you're not saved, it's because you don't love him right. In a speech made in 1863, Abraham Lincoln said, We have seen the recipients of the choicest boundaries, bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers and wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient, 
to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to God that made us. Abraham Lincoln was trying to get us to know that we have taken for granted what God has done for us. Many people forget what God delivered them from or kept them out of. Samson became familiar with the power of God and thought he would always have it. But when he needed it the most, it was not there because he broke the vow that he made with God. Saul thought that he would always be king of Israel until he became an old man and died. But just by disobeying God caused him to lose it all. And I ask you today, if you don't go to heaven, what's it going to be? Because that little thing, and I will say it's little, compared to what God's offering us, is so little. It's so small. It's so unworth what people lose out with God and are lost. It is so finite considering what God is offering us in our inheritance of eternal life. That little insignificant thing that keeps us from living for God is going to be the thing that's going to torment a lot of people in eternity when they realize I gave up my inheritance for this. I gave up my inheritance because I wasn't willing to forgive somebody. Because I wasn't willing to stop a certain thing or to do a certain thing. And that little insignificant thing is going to cause a lot of misery, a lot of turmoil in the hearts of so many in eternity. Would you stand?